Welcome to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast brought to you by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Here we share information about farm practices, pulse markets, research outcomes, market development efforts, and much more. My name is Stuart Lawrence, and I'm a board member with Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Each year, SPG recognizes someone who has had an impact in the pulse industry, whether through production, research, or product and market development. Today, we are pleased to announce that this year's Pulse Promoter Award recipient is Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson is a retired weed scientist and agronomist who worked in extension and research. Throughout his career, Eric has influenced change to assist producers in transitioning to zero till. His work has developed the introduction and registration of herbicides for use in pulse crops in Western Canada. Eric also led research for effective non-chemical weed management and pulses such as mechanical weed control. Before retiring, Eric led projects with Dr. Steve Shirtliff's Agronomic Crop Imaging Lab, working on herbicide evaluation and integrated management of broadleaf weeds and pulses. Eric, we're glad you could join us today. First, I would like to say congratulations on the award. It is well-deserved. Well, uh, thank you, Sturt, and uh, it's great to talk to you again, and I'm very honoured to receive this award. I've always enjoyed working in Pulses and uh, have always appreciated the support that uh, the Saskatchewan Pulse Growers has provided to the, my research programs. You have a, an extensive career devoted to weed management, specifically for Pulses. When you step back and look at your accomplishments, which moments stand out the most for you? Well, I did a, a wide uh, array of research in, in pulses, including agronomy. But in terms of weed management, my biggest accomplishments uh, came through the pesticide minor use program. So in the 2000s, early 2000s, uh, the government of Canada introduced the pesticide minor use programs, the Scott Research Farm was the test site for the prairies. And uh, I uh, was the test site manager. And so that program enabled me to uh, screen a number of herbicides in particular for pulses and a wide uh, array of other crops. And it was, a, it was a very good program. So in the first early days of the program, I guess one of my greatest accomplishments was the introduction of uh, sulfentrazone or authority herbicide. Uh, FMC at that time had no presence in Western Canada. Uh, they were just strictly a United States company. Uh, we were aware of sulfentrazone for chickpea production in the United States. And uh, we were looking for chickpea herbicides at the time uh, because chickpea acreage had really spiked there for a short period of time. And uh, so the company wasn't really that enthused about coming to Canada. And uh, with the minor use program, it enabled me to convince the company to at least just give us some product and let us work with it. And the initial work that we did convinced them that there was a potential for Canada. And we you know, looked at it on a number of crops like uh, field peas, for example. Uh, we tried it in lentils, but it was uh, tolerance wasn't great. Um, and the other product we introduced at that time or helped introduce was carfentrazone or AIM. And it was the first uh, group 14 uh, burn down product uh, as a partner with glyphosate uh, that got registered. And that uh, the reason we were 
wanting to get that registered prior to pulses, it's that it uh, was a herbicide that didn't leave a residue. And since then, I mean, uh, I mean that was my first accomplishments, but uh, uh, we were able to screen a number of other herbicides that either got registered by the companies or by through the minor use program. Yeah, you highlighted some really important chemistries that were brought into the Western Canadian marketplace. And as a chickpea producer before there was uh, sulfentrazone, confentrazone, uh, it was difficult times. It was tough sledding trying to get those weeds under control. And, and your work really allowed us to uh, to control the hard to handle weeds within the, the pulse crops that were growing. Uh, you mentioned, you know, work in agronomy as well. Let's... Uh, Let's explore a little bit of your agronomy work that's uh, that's been really important. Okay, so I guess in terms of my career, uh, a lot of my work in agronomy were collaborations with other scientists. So we were a site where collaboration was extremely important. So a lot of things were led by other scientists in Western Canada. So I can't take total credit for them, uh, but certainly we were an important site in terms of providing data. Um, in the earliest days when I got started, there was the SPOKE program. So that was the precursor to the AgriArm program. And uh, there was a fair amount of uh, devotion to pulse agronomy research during that time. Uh, so we worked on field pea seeding rates. Uh, that was led by Dr. Adrian Johnson, and you know, that was where we ended up defining an optimum plant density of about 80 plants per square meter. Early wheat control and pulses, we did quite, a, I was involved in a lot of work with that. I was involved in fairly major projects led by Dr. Cynthia Grant and John O'Donovan on the uh, nitrogen contribution uh, of pulses to follow crops. I guess another fairly important uh, part of my weed management program was an early project uh, funded by the Saskatchewan pulse growers, and that was on uh, herbicide carryover. So I did a lot of work on group two carryover and the, the stacking of group two herbicide residues. And uh, that was done in the early 2000s, but the the uh, the information that we derived for that from that uh, research is still quite relevant, as uh, those products are still widely used in Western Canada. Although a couple of the products that were the worst in terms of stacking herbicide residues are no longer commercially available. So uh, those were some of the agronomic projects that I can think of offhand, but. Uh, there's been numerous, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You mentioned uh, collaborating with others. And uh, if I, I remember correctly from your retirement party in Saskatoon, um, you were either author or co-author on 140 publications. Um, that's a lot of collaboration. How important was collaboration with other experts in the industry? Well, that was, uh, and you're correct. Yeah, I have a, a very, a, a pretty good publication record, but it is due to collaborations. So if you look at the, the papers, 
I'm not first author on many of them, so I didn't didn't lead a lot of projects, but collaboration was really important. Um, the Scott research farm where I worked was an important site because it was one of two sites in the dark brown soil zone. And uh, so uh, that led to a number of uh, uh, research scientists wanting to collaborate with us. But the importance of collaboration is really uh, the ability to collect multi-site data. If you try to do a research project at one location for three years, it is extremely difficult to derive any meaningful results uh, because you just have a lack of environments that you're testing your, your research in. It's really good to do proof of concept work or a probe type research that uh, you know, may lead to a multi-site experiment after that. And so that that's what makes it very critical. In a single location study that's conducted over three years, you're lucky to get three good years in where uh, you don't lose the site due to drought or hail or or some other factor. So it's just very it's a very efficient way to conduct meaningful research for growers over a wide range of environments. And it provides a lot of confidence in the results that you attain. Uh, we've talked uh, a lot about the herbicides that you've helped to, to get registered in, in Saskatchewan. Um, let's talk a little bit about your work with mechanical weed control and sure. non-chemical. Tell us about that. Yes, I, I joined the Scott Research Farm in the mid-90s. And... Uh, Part of the spoke program also included an organic component to it. And so there was an initiative to look at organic or non-chemical methods of weed control. And so I took that project on and it was kind of unique. Uh, Martin Ants at the University of Manitoba, of course, he was a pioneer in doing a fair amount of organic research at the time, but no one was really doing any research on that in, in Saskatchewan. And so this was a, a really good opportunity um, to evaluate some non-chemical methods. And we were just entering a period of time when herbicide resistance was becoming prevalent. I was thinking, well, this is not only good for the organic industry, but this may in the future have some potential for conventional growers uh, if if we run out of uh, herbicides that that we can use in, in a number of crops. So uh, my early work uh, was again a lot of uh, proof of concept. Probably the the implement that the mechanical implement that showed most promise to me was the Mintil rotary hoe and uh, we actually purchased one uh, from Eastern Canada. There wasn't many of them in the West. Uh, interestingly enough, we bought it from the Monsanto Research Farm uh, in, yeah. uh, in Ontario, and uh, they were using it to break crusts in soybean. That was the original uh, intent of the, uh, of the rotary hoe. But it did work fairly well in terms of controlling weeds in cereals and pulses. Now, small seeded weeds, so things like wild mustard and kochia, it didn't work on wild oats because the 
the wild oat is just too well anchored in the soil. But um, if you time it properly, and the proper timing is when the weed is in the white thread stage, so it's just beginning to emerge. You can get them in the cotyledon stage as well, but the earlier the better. So one of the challenges, of course, for large-scale commercial farming is to be able to cover enough acres with it. Now, the, the, the mint-till rotary hoe, you can go at a very fast speed. You can, you can operate it at about 12 kilometers an hour. Uh, it works in residues. It doesn't plug uh, because the gangs are separated far enough. So the, it does work in residue, and it actually maintains residue on the surface. But it was probably one of the... Uh, the implements or one of the tools that I found uh, had most potential for uh, non-chemical weed control. And, and that work, uh, that was the preliminary work and uh, uh, on it. And then Dr. Steve Shirtliff at the University of Saskatchewan, he, he kind of perfected the integrated approach of uh, mechanical weed controls for organic production based on some of my early research. So. He had a graduate student, uh, Alexander Alba, who uh, did a really nice project looking at the integration of higher seeding rates and pulses. And he got, you know, close to 90% reduction in weed bios mass with a higher seeding rate, timely mintil rotary hoeing, and precision interrow uh, cultivation. That's interesting. I think with you know the the increase in herbicide resistance that what is old may become new again in, in Saskatchewan, and I think uh, leaning on your research is going to be a foundation for bringing back that that minimum tillage weed control. Yeah, and and uh, we talked earlier about collaboration, and Brian uh, Tideman and Hugh Becky led some projects on weed seed destruction, weed seed management, and uh, we collaborated on projects with those two scientists as well. You had mentioned uh, that you started at uh, AAFC in Scott in the mid '90s. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about how the agri-arm sites were formed and created and and your role in that. Okay, so the first research foundation was, uh, of course, the Indian Head Agriculture Research Foundation at the Indian Head uh, Research Farm. And that was uh, initiated by Dr. Guy Lafon and Dr. Doug Dirksen. And it kind of provided a model for the, the agri-arm program. So in the, as I mentioned, in the mid-90s, uh, there was, I think it was called the Green Plan Program, the Federal Green Plan Program, and part of that was a program known as the Spoke Program. The idea behind it was a, a kind of a hub and spoke uh, research program where the hub would be, you know, university and the major ag Canada sites in Saskatoon. They would do the initial research with the uh, spoke sites uh, located around the province uh, doing applied research to kind of demonstrate the, the research. Now, it was a great concept. It didn't quite work as well as the concept that was proposed, but over time it evolved and then it was renamed the Agron program. The provincial government took a fairly made a, a much more uh, leadership role in it 
And uh, a number of sites were created, some of them affiliated with Agriculture Canada. So the Scott uh, Research Farm or the Western Applied Research Corporation, the uh, Northeast Agriculture Research Foundation in Melford, Wheatlands and Swift Current, and of course IHARF in Indian Head. And then there was also sites at uh, Kenora, uh, Redverse, Outlook, and the uh, Conservation Learning Centre at Prince Albert. So in the first few years at Scott, we basically operated our agri-arm site as part of Ag Canada, Agriculture Canada. But as the agri-arm program grew, we realized that we just didn't have the resources, the human resources to operate that program in an efficient manner. And we were kind of uh, overwhelmed with uh, other research priorities. Like I mentioned, we had the minor use. Uh, we did variety testing there. Uh, we had a major long-term agronomic study, the alternative cropping study, and we needed to get more producer input into the research needs. So in the early 2000s, I worked with uh, Sherry Lynn Phelps very closely. Sherry Lynn, who's now with the Saskatchewan Pulse Growers, was with uh, Saskatchewan Agriculture as a regional crop specialist at the time. We, uh, we formed the uh, Western Applied Research Corporation. We incorporated in, I think, 2003, I believe. And we set about trying to make that program as autonomous as possible. So we went about hiring scientists, biologists, and that was a challenge in the early days because, uh, you know, Scott is kind of remote and it's difficult to attract scientists there. But we worked very hard in, in trying to make the job very attractive, the positions very attractive. So a lot of effort went into human resources development, you know, providing comparable uh, wages and, and benefits that they would get with other programs. And then we looked at actively recruiting. We were fortunate that I was quite involved with the university at, at that time, working with some graduate students. This was just prior to joining the university, working with some graduate students. And we actually had, you know, graduate students and students from that area that were at the University of uh, Saskatchewan. So we actively recruited them and, and you know, we've gotten some real solid people working there and, and some real stability. So it took a long time. You know, I figure it took about 13 years before it was operating the way I wanted, I, I wanted it to operate, but it, it's, it's really humming along now. You know, uh, I think the amount of success that the agri-arm sites have had in research is, is uh, really, it, it's very important. I think one of the things that gets missed in all of this, and you had mentioned it, is that it's an opportunity for skilled, high-paying jobs to be created in rural Saskatchewan. And that's that's something that has not really been mentioned a whole lot about the agri-arm sites. No, that's true. Um, as I mentioned, it's a bit of a challenge, but if we get the right people, uh, people that want to work in rural areas, they tend to stay. So we're seeing some stability at a lot of the sites and uh, and that's very encouraging. And so 
Uh, research is all about people. If you don't have good people, uh, it's hard to do good research. So um, that's why so much emphasis was put on it when we were trying to develop the program at Scott. Uh, you mentioned uh, joining the University of Saskatchewan. I believe that was in 2015. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And whose department did you go to in 2015? So I started with uh, Dr. Chris Willenberg uh, in 2015. And uh, at that time, we actually took on, uh, Chris developed a, a, a major pulse weed control initiative project that was uh, funded by SAS Pulse Growers. So I collaborated with Chris on that. I did a little bit of teaching. I taught the pesticide class a couple times when he, he took a, uh, a leave. And uh, so that was, that was fun. I quite enjoyed teaching. Um, the uh, the weed control project uh, that uh, Chris led uh, again it, there was a lot of herbicide screening involved in it, primarily in faba bean. Uh, so we looked at products like uh, flumioxazin or Valor and Fierce and uh, Peroxisulfone, you know, Focus and and Zidia. So we looked at a number of products. Some of them did get registered in faba bean. Uh, some of them are still. Uh, could be registered uh, if needed. Uh, he did a very good project looking at the impact of seeding rates on on weed management and you know optimizing seeding rates in faba bean as well. We did a little bit of screening. We screened uh, pyridate, so the uh, trade name of that is tough. Uh, we looked at it in chickpeas, although uh, we looked at that in chickpeas in the early uh, 2000s as well when it was a Syngenta product project but it has led to registration of that product as well those were some of the activities related to pulses when i was working with chris and then in 2019 i uh, moved to dr shirtless program the agronomic crop in imaging lab and uh, worked with steve until i retired i uh want to touch a little bit on mentoring. Uh, I noticed at your retirement party in Saskatoon that there was quite a few students that were there and I it struck me that you really must have had an impact on those students for them to take a day off work and and uh, come join us uh, celebrating your career and and so let's talk a little bit about that. What what is mentoring meant to you throughout your career? I feel very satisfied and uh, I, I appreciate the fact that I was able to go to the University of Saskatchewan. So when I was with Agriculture Canada at Scott and I'd been there a number of years and worked with Saskatchewan Agriculture for a number of years and I felt, well, you know, I've gained a lot of knowledge, I've gained a lot of experience and when I retire, this could just disappear, you know, and so when Chris gave me the opportunity to go to the university, I was elated because I knew that that would be the best environment for me to mentor students. So that was, you know, really a highlight of my career in terms of interpersonal relationships and, and leadership, being able to work with students, you know, some very brilliant young students, uh, very keen students that that I was able to help direct, um, help, you know, impart some of my knowledge. 
and provide them with guidance. A lot of them have, have moved on to, to very good careers. So one of the things that it really showed this year was when I did go to the Scott Research Farm to their field day and saw some of my students perform. And, you know, there was a lot of pride and I thought, you know, this is good. I feel good about retirement because the next generation is is doing a, a really good job. So it, it was very rewarding part of my career at the University of Saskatchewan. Yeah, I, I um, it, it like I said, it, it really struck me that those students were, um, well, they were very excited for you know you to retire at and and participate in that celebration and and I, I thought it was it meant a lot to me the that contribution that you had to their careers and and our industry uh anything else that we missed in your career that that you would like to highlight well i spent uh 15 years in agriculture extension so i i am you know I, my contributions to to research are probably what I get most recognition for, but I started my career in 1982 and worked with Saskatchewan Agriculture uh, till the mid-90s. And uh, I was a crop specialist with Saskatchewan Agriculture from 89 to, uh, well, I was actually uh, there until 2000, but I was on a secondment to Scott from 96. But in that time frame, in the early 90s, that's when pulse crops were becoming very popular. So uh, we did a lot of work with Dr. Slinker, Don, uh, in particular, um, then later Dr. Vandenbergs and Tom Workington and Bunyam and Turan uh, in the other pulses in, in trying to encourage uh, pulse production. Um, and that was also the kind of the golden period of uh, zero till or direct seeding adoption. And uh, I worked very closely with the Saskatchewan Soil Conservation Association in extension programming there. And I'm quite proud of the, you know, the work that we did with, again, it was collaborations. It's nothing I, I take full responsibility for, but it was, uh, it was a, a pretty exciting time. And it was, you know, uh, very um, rewarding to see the level of the adoption that took place during that time period. And of course, when we were talking about zero till or direct seeding or no till uh, adoption, uh, the crop rotation was one of the pillars. And so the importance of including pulses in the rotation was highlighted as critical for uh, successful adoption. Yeah, those two components really went hand in, in glove to the transition from tillage fallow or chem fallow systems and and into uh, direct seeding zero till systems and including the pulses it was uh, it was key in getting producers to make that switch and adopt those practices eric can you can you tell us a little bit about the state of weed control and pulses right now and any of the challenges that producers are going to face in the future you know, i think we're at a stage in uh, in pulse production and weed control where there are a number of challenges uh, still we're looking at high levels of resistance in weeds like kochia and it's becoming resistant to just about every herbicide group we have and you know recently group 14 resistance has been identified which is quite alarming and uh, certainly concerning so one of the challenges is that 
we did a good job of screening in the past 15 years. So we were able to introduce a number of herbicides like flumioxacin, aproxisulfone, and uh, saflufenicil, and triflutamoxacin. But there's not a, from what I can see, there's not a, a whole bunch of new chemistries coming in the short term. Uh, FMC has a new mode of action, a group 29. It's a rice herbicide, and I have no idea, you know, whether it has potential impulses or not. And some other companies have indicated that they have some some new modes of action coming. But, you know, we're looking maybe 10 years before we're going to see a number of new herbicides. So I think it's a real challenge for weed scientists. We're going to perhaps have to look at some non-chemical weed control, harvest weed seed management may be more critical. You know, perhaps some of the technologies and precision application will will help uh, if we can, you know, precisely target weeds between crop rows, for example. I did a little bit of research on that. We could look at maybe some non-selective herbicides there. Uh, crop rotation will become critical. I think the other thing that's kind of important to find out is if you travel throughout Saskatchewan, uh, you know, just drive in the, around in the late summer, you'll see, you know, lentil fields that have very high levels of kosher, and then you'll see extremely clean lentil fields. So I think we need to actually involve the producers that are successful and say, what are you doing? In the early parts of my extension career, there was a... Uh, canola production survey. And that was widely used by extension in terms of these are the practices that the, you know, the top growers are using. And, you know, and, and uh, with weeds, I mean, some of it is beyond your control as a grower, right? You have saline areas or you have, you know, crop failures or something like that, that will uh, definitely uh, impact um, your weed populations and, and pulse crops being poor competitors are, you know, Dr. Slinker always used to say you spend years cleaning up your fields and then you ruin it with one year pulses sort of things. So they're notorious for being non-competitive. So I think there are some some opportunities, but there's real challenges facing public and private weed scientists right now in terms of providing solutions to growers. And so I think we're a few years away from any new herbicide products. So they're going to have to be very, very creative, and 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 growers are going to have to be quite creative in in what they might do in order to continue to manage weeds and pulses. Yeah, I agree. There are some uh, extreme challenges, and it's going to be interesting to see how our research community in the province does react to it and come up with uh, new solutions. Uh, for herbicide resistance. Eric, it was an absolute honor to have you here today. Once again, congratulations for being recognized as this year's Pulse Promoter. And thank you to everyone for tuning in to this podcast. For more information about the Pulse Promoter Award and the recipient, visit the news section of our website at saskpulse.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss upcoming episodes. To stay up to date with SPG, you can subscribe to our mailing list on our website. We send regular updates, keeping you informed on global markets, new technologies, and trends in pulse production. Thank you for tuning in to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast.